Which next step is the best fit for your future? What can you do to accelerate your professional development? And how should you navigate different workplace challenges? I'm Kyle Gantos, and our team is on a mission to crowdsource insights, best practices, and action plans from accomplished peers, all who began their career in Big Four, to help guide you wherever you want to grow. Hello and welcome to season two of So You Started in Big Four. My name is Kyle Gantos. I am so happy to be back. We have upgraded our production. We've got multiple cameras. We've got a producer. Uh, Really excited to kick this season off with three really uh, special people, some awesome perspective. Uh, And today's topic, I think, is one that uh, everybody can relate to depending on where you're at in your career, where you're at in your life. And that is the importance of work-life balance and more specifically how to take accountability for making yourself happy. Um, before we dive into the topic, I would love to do some quick background check, introductions, uh, a career audit, pun intended. Uh, but we'll start off with uh, Embark's new uh, market leader in Atlanta. Congratulations, Donna Boone, and welcome to the show. Thank you. So as you said, I'm Donna Boone, and I am the Atlanta market leader here. Um, as far as background, I've worked at both EY and KPMG in the big four, and then internal audit as well in industry. Welcome. Thanks. Also joined by my inspiration when it comes to traveling the world and seeing and experiencing everything life has to offer. Welcome to the show, Darby. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. Um, My name is Darby Long, as Kyle said. I previously worked at KPMG for about two years, and right now I'm a senior associate here in the Dallas office in our FAS practice. And last but not least, one of Embark's OGs, James Dernberger. So much wisdom. Appreciate having the opportunity to learn from you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, my name is James Dunberger. I'm a senior director with Embark. Uh, prior to Embark, I worked at two different industry jobs, and then PwC was my starting ground. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, t- you know, today's topic I think is we've all probably at one point or another had to confront some form of burnout. Um, and I would love to, you know, just get vulnerable for a second and maybe talk about some experiences where you had to confront that. You know, what did it feel like? What did you learn about yourself? Anybody wants to leave that off? For me, uh, it really, I didn't have any inspiration or desire to really go to work, right? It's like, okay, you, you need to be there by the time, but I didn't really want to be there or, or go and and really feel a, a passion and drive to to uh, to do my best and, and, and get the get the best work out of me. That's what it felt like when I was burnt out. Absolutely. I remember when I was in public accounting, I remember um, going to work and saying, I was working right downtown and I was like, okay, so if a city bus hit me, I could go to the hospital and get a few days off of work. And that sounded so much more appealing than going in. Mm -hmm. So at that point, obviously you're you're burnt (laughs) out, right? So. Yeah, that's, I've had the the Sunday scaries, right? Mm -hmm. Where you just like, halfway through the day, you're already can kind of feel your stomach churning a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not a good feeling. Uh, how about you, Darby? Yeah, absolutely. I think I started right before COVID in public accounting and I went home March, 2020 and I stayed working in my one bedroom apartment in the living room that I had converted into an office for the next 18 months. I didn't realize I was burnt out because I was just sitting at home, but my hair was falling out. Um, I had no desire to go up and do anything. I was loved to read. And I was just like, I don't want to read. I want to sleep. And then I couldn't fall asleep. And it was just like this completely mind boggling experience of just not feeling like myself, but yet not understanding what was causing it until I fixed the root cause of it. And it was like, wait, 
that's what it was. Now that I'm here at Embark, I realize, okay, yeah, you know, getting up and working out, you have the time to do it and stuff like that. So definitely not a positive thing that I enjoyed. <laughs> how, how long did that process take for you to maybe start noticing some of those things and then ultimately figure out that, hey, you don't think this has a lot to do with my job? Yeah, I think um, I had a conversation at KPMG in May of 2021 and my mentor came to me and she said, hey, you're at 114% utilization. And so at that point, that was um, a little over a year of working from home. Um, and so I was a little stubborn. I, I like to stay busy and I like to work. So I kind of refused to believe that that was what was causing it. But when she came to me, I was like, oh my gosh, that's that's crazy. Um, so probably, you know, after busy season of working from home, I was like, okay, yeah, this is absolutely what's it. That January, I kind of really started to note the physical effects. Um, and in May, I kind of just put the pieces together. How about both of you, you know, feeling that, you know, or just, you know, hey, I could you know, maybe, I don't know, getting hit by a bus, I wouldn't have to go do right. that, right? right? <laughs> um, how long did you have that feeling? And then at what, when and how did you do something about it? I mean, I had that feeling for a long time, personally, but I mean, I did something, I guess, more extreme. I took off a long period of time. And so um, I got my offer to come to Embark. I think it was in March. And I asked the recruiter, Ben, I said, hey, can I take, you know, push the offer back a little bit and start later? He said, sure. I mean, do you mean like April? Like, I was like, I mean, like the fall. So I didn't end up starting here until September 14th. So I took off like five months. And I honestly, I didn't like go travel the world or whatever. I would just get up whenever I, you know, I got up. I would go on long walks. I would go to the gym every single day. I would like cook for myself, those kinds of things. And that really helped me a lot, just taking a complete break, which I was very lucky and fortunate to be able to do that. But that really helped me. What were some things that you noticed that, you know, like what, what, what are some examples of how did you notice you had more energy? Did you just, were you smiling more? And how long did that take? Yeah, I would say so. I'd say more energy. I would say, yeah, like you said, smiling more. And even other people who I spend time with also noticed the change as well and saw that my demeanor has changed and that I seemed a lot happier than I had before. There was a phase in, I would say, like the first 10 years of my career where I just perpetually, no matter where I went or what I tried, I wasn't really that happy with it. And then, so all the feelings we've discussed were present the entire time. And then there was like another phase of 10 years where I actually really did enjoy what I was doing. But I put so much time into the doing the part that I love that I also still burned out and, and noticed that, you know, my, my life kind of became one dimensional. So my, while I maybe still had energy and it didn't, it wasn't as obvious as some mm -hmm. of these other things, I, I still eventually there, there were limitations that were exposed. And it's like, you know, I, I need something else. That's, I need something else that's part of my life because mm -hmm. this is actually, as much as I enjoy it, it's pretty boring. <laughs> I need to grow. <laughs> What's it been like from uh, working with other people and from even a leadership standpoint and seeing different people where maybe you can notice this person's burnt out 
And, you know, what's, what's that dynamic like when it's not you, but you can see that maybe somebody else is overwhelmed or running themselves into the ground. I, I mean, when I see it, I really feel for our consultants. Um, I notice a change in personalities. Um, if, you know, when I've seen someone that's, that's, you know, driving too hard or, or not achieving the work-life balance that they should, you could tell, I mean, they don't, they don't look as happy. They get uh, frustrated quicker as well. And so for me, it's like, there isn't just like one, like, you know, warning sign. Uh, you can really just like when you understand and know the, cons the, the specific consultant. So like first is getting to know someone. Right. And then when you, when you do that, mm -hmm. then you can notice the changes and then, and then try to interject. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's right. Just noticing, I think a change in behavior in someone I think is probably the biggest sign is say someone goes from being a top performer to making mistakes I normally wouldn't make things like that can also be um, signs of burnout as well. And that's why I do try to check the report of who has worked over 45 hours the previous week just to check on them to make sure that everything is is okay. Yeah. And they're doing okay. I mean, I suppose we're all a little bit different, right? Do you, do you notice uh, like a certain utilization threshold where pretty much everybody over X period of time will start to show some signs? I don't think so. I think a lot of it just varies from, from person to person. And I also think how long that period is, right? So if you have a couple of weeks, typically that's fine. But if it goes on for months and months and months and months and months and drags on like that, well then yes, then people typically do start to get burned out. And that's when we try to see if we can pull somebody else in to help relieve some of their time or switch them out just to give someone like a break and a breather, you know, to kind of get back to being themselves. How would each of you define work-life balance or, you know, I've referred to it as, or I've heard it referred to as work-life integration here, but what, is, what does that mean specifically for Darby? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's day-to-day, -day, it's having the time to cook my own meals for myself, take time for myself, whether it's working out, taking my dog on a walk, um, being able to make birthday dinners and being able to make plans on the weekend because I know I'm not going to run into a major client deadline and knowing that my job is going to understand that. And then also having the flexibility to go on a once in a lifetime vacation whenever it occurs and whenever the opportunity arises. Um, in the past two years, I've been at Embark. I've been able to go on two bucket list vacations during what would previously have been busy season. And it was never an issue. And for me, that just like meant a lot um, in terms of work-life balance and also in terms of my company valuing my wants and needs. So. And, you know, being, I, I can't recall you ever, you talk about just maybe observing the um, behavioral differences or becoming more frustrated or noticing some change. I've, I don't think I've ever not seen you smile and happy and like, you know, positive energy. I'm always like, okay, I need to, I need to go absorb some of that. So um, definitely seems to be a correlation there. How would you define, you know, what is work-life balance or integration for you, James? Yeah, really it's, it's making sure that my professional and personal wants and needs are met. And so for me, uh, I'm really active with my family. So I've got two young children. When I started Embark, they were two and four. Now they're 10 and 12. And so their needs have changed throughout time. But for me, it's being able to take the time to make sure that uh, their needs are met, 
you know, life is unpredictable with, <laughs> with children and kids. And so um, it's being able to carve out that time of, of when I need to be there for them, I can. Um, also, uh, my wife is a, a nurse, and so her schedule is is chaotic. Sometimes uh, she's working nights, and sometimes they're twelve hour shifts. So it's being able for us to work together as a family and make sure that that um, our schedules can accommodate everything. Um, so I, you know, I'm involved with my my son's after school activities. So sometimes that means that that I am available to to be involved in in and with their education and their after school activities in the community. So with that, it's a give and take, right? So being able to to be involved, but then also, you know, meet the responsibilities of work is is is, is balancing it. Um, some people say you can never achieve balance, but you're always uh, making sure prioritizing uh, the things that that are important and, and need to get done. And I imagine with with the with your priorities that there's also got to be some degree of flexibility you know to be able to adapt to maybe your wife's schedule or you know something happened with one of your kids yeah 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 um how about you donna as far as balance i think we have to really take a long-term view because i don't believe every day is going to be you know eight hours work and eight hours play and eight, eight hours whatever i think it's going to change over time i think we have to just take a long-term approach and um, like I, t I heard a partner from the big four say one time was going to be more of like a seesaw than balanced all the time. And so sometimes it's going to be all work and sometimes it's going to be, you know, all having fun and, and just kind of realizing that there are seasons where you're going to have to work a lot more. There are seasons where you're going to have more time to go on more vacations and more trips. Um, like as we're recording this right now, like I'm in the midst of trying to move and I'm also in grad school and all these different things trying to happen all at the same time. And then I also planned a trip last weekend, which was really bad timing, but I still <laughs> want to go. So I did. Um, but it's just realizing like right now it's right. It's very, very busy for me, but it won't always be that way. This is only a very temporary thing that's happening right now. Yeah. You mentioned taking a long-term view. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, historically probably something that I've struggled with is I, you know, I tend to like me, I don't maybe overreact or just, feel my emotions pretty strongly in the moment. Is that something that over time you've gotten better at? Is there a technique or how, how do you kind of stay rooted in the fact that maybe this is out of balance or maybe this is, you know, I've really got to buckle down and focus on this. It's part of the bigger plan. How, how challenging is that for you and what's work and what's not? I think a lot of it is just reminding myself of that and kind of keep saying that to myself and also just trying to focus on like what has to be done that specific day, not what has to be done down the road. That helps me like not be as anxious and have so much anxiety just to worry about today and like kind of map out my day and what I have to do in different hours. It really helps me just to see it visually as well. Um, and doing it that way helps me kind of stay aligned and remind myself it's only going to be this way for a certain period of time. And then also remember, I wasn't as busy, you know, two or three months ago, you know, I had more free time then. And so just remembering that things do change. We've reached the midway point of this episode. Are you enjoying the conversation? Be sure to subscribe so you never miss out on wisdom that can help you work smarter to level up faster. Speaking of which, have a follow-up question or future topic request? Email us at podcasts at embarkwithus.com so we can get to work on creating content that'll help you get wherever you want to grow. And now, 
back to the discussion. How about for you? You're talking, you know, bucket list vacations. Is is that yeah? What what Donna was saying is kind of mapping it out, blocking your calendar, turning that priority into a process, so to speak. Is that something that you know? Are you looking months ahead to to do that, or is it more opportunistic? It's just a, a kind of a, an ongoing priority. Um, I think it's kind of a juggle between two things. My first trip, we went to Hawaii. That was an opportunistic. I planned it the same day I turned in my resignation letter at KPMG. I said. Hey, mom, that sale I saw on flights, we're going to get to go because I just quit. Um, and then a year ago, my cousin told me she was studying abroad at the same university I did in college. And so I had a year to plan that versus three, four months. Um, so I think it's kind of what James said, too, is just being flexible. A lot of the times now that I know um, kind of what's expected of me, I'm a little bit more hesitant to take huge vacations at the beginning of the month if I can. Like if there's an ability to plan in advance, um, it's just better for me. It's better for my work and my work quality um, and my professional career. And I'm allowed to enjoy my life a lot more too. Um, and that's kind of how Donna was saying, you know, you take the long-term view of a month. I'm really busy the first 10, 12 days of the month. The rest of the month, I'm not nearly as busy. And so I have more time for myself and to make sure that I get to keep myself a priority. Having everybody here, having experienced, you know, being in kind of the the middle of this downward spiral where you just don't feel good about yourself. And then, you know, each of you has also gotten to a place where, you know, things are going well, or at least you've developed a mindset to be able to kind of balance everything. Why do we prolong or what what is this natural tendency to kind of, I don't feel good, but yet either I don't know what to change or I don't even know what's causing it or maybe I think I do but maybe I'm not quite ready to do something about mm -hmm. it why do you think so many people get caught up in that vicious cycle I think a lot of us are socialized to not take your feelings as the truth like even when you're a child and say you fall down and someone someone does always like you're not hurt get up well maybe they are hurt and I don't know but I think we're, we're taught from that young age like just to not worry yeah. about it and then there are books out there for professionals like the book Grit, which I can't stand because it's like, no, it's not just grit. And some people have grit. They still don't reach their goals and, and they end up hurting themselves, all these other kinds of things. And so I think we're told, well, you got to just keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. But that might not always be the answer. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, from my perspective, you're taught that, hey, you keep on going um, if you work harder and harder and harder, you can reach your goals. And, and, and sometimes there's this guilt that, Hey, you should not be taking time. You should not be taking vacation. And that's hard to overcome. Um, I mean, that was a catalyst when I made a change, um, going out of public and, and to private was I, uh, I drove, was driving down the road and the, I got out before the sun had set and I felt guilty about it. And, and I, and that's when I realized something was wrong and, and, and I needed to, to make some changes, but you're, you're just so used to, to doing it and you look around and you see other people do it. So it's like, well, I need to be grinding or, mm -hmm. or going and, and, and whatnot. And so, I mean, I think that's why, why it's really hard to make the change. I mean, for me, it's like the professional guilt, you know, you need to be working really hard you, and 
And you, sh you, you physically seeing someone working hard and long hours is is a demonstration of that you're doing something right. That's the view. Mm -hmm. And if you're not doing that, you feel that guilt. Mm -hmm. There, there, there definitely were phases where I maybe I knew something was wrong, I, I, but I didn't know how to solve the problem. And taking the same example, though, then then maybe I would somehow luckily get paired up or get to be around a James, right? And see like, whoa, this guy does things a little bit differently or he's got a different mindset and seems to be happier than I am, right? Um, and I, I think, I don't know how to articulate this, but there's something to be said for maybe I didn't know how to get there on my own, but once I experienced the advantages of maybe scaling it back from working all the freaking time to, well, you know what, if I have 25% more time to go walk and just like be at peace and be calm, actually I will be even more productive. It yeah. may not mathematically make sense, but in reality, yeah. the experience will be totally different. But until I can experience that, even if by accident or somebody new I shows me, mm -hmm. That has been transformational, but I'm just curious why, why is it so difficult to, uh, you know, until you do that and then reinforce it, it mm -hmm. seems very, very challenging to make the switch. Yeah. I think one thing you have to realize though is subconsciously we make a choice to not change most days. And like, we like to stay comfortable mm -hmm. even if we're miserable because we don't like change. So you've got to take this subconscious decision every day to just stay where you are and make a conscious decision to change. And kind of like you said, and James said, your change was thrusted upon you by whatever professional environment you were in. And his was a sudden realization that he had because he hadn't seen the sun in I don't know how long, which I can totally relate to. Um, but, you know, you have to make that change and you have to take responsibility because the only person that can make you happy is you yeah. at the end of the day. Your job can't make you happy. Traveling the world can't make me happy. Mm -hmm. I've got to choose to be happy regardless of where I'm at. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is realizing, hey, I don't have to stay in this rut forever. Change isn't bad. It can be actually be really good in this instance. Absolutely. And sometimes you do have to take that step to change your environment. Because one thing I've always heard is that, you know, um, you don't change your environment, your environment changes you. And that's so true. And so I think a lot of us have worked in settings where the environment did not allow us to take a breather or take that mm -hmm. step back. And no amount of meditation or yoga or whatever was going to fix that. So you had to just make the tough decision to change your entire environment to be able to experience that change. So when we're in environments where we're surrounded by, you know, the the role models, so to speak, that aren't what we want, you know, that's going to, it's probably a, a, a good red flag. Conversely, being in an environment where, you know, and I would say that I'm in a place now where I am surrounded by people who are not just talking, but, you know, walking the walk, people, very different people, different priorities. Their definition is very different than mine, but seeing some of those habits, it, it just reinforces the importance of finding the right group of people to surround yourself with. I'm curious, what was the path that led each of you to that? And if you were to find yourself in an environment where it just, it wasn't adding up to happiness, what would you do about it? For me, I would change it. Um, I've worked several different places and a lot of times people say, oh, you're, you're job hopping, this and that, which, 
you know, that might be true. But at the same time, there's really no point in staying somewhere where you're not happy, where you don't enjoy the environment or the people or anything about the situation. And there's really no prizes in life for being miserable. So it is better to try to find a new situation the best you can. Let's say I'm at a company right now and I'm I'm miserable, right? I, I don't know how to get what I want. I just know that it ain't here. How do I go about, you know, not just changing something? What, are, what can I do to elevate my probability of finding an environment where I am surrounded by and have the freedom to actually be able to orchestrate balance? I mean, I think it's first, you know, figuring out what's not making you happy. You know, is it is it the company? Is it the company culture? Maybe it's the area or the work. It could be your direct supervisor. And then and then and then going about that change. But I mean, I think it helps to talk to other people at your company. Um, and sometimes it can be hard to confide in them, you know. Uh, but if you have those relationships that you've developed professionally, um, with with coworkers, just you know, open up a little bit, um, and then depending upon who your who your supervisor is, if there's someone that's open, you could you could start at easing into that conversation. If you're not f- feeling professionally fulfilled, you know, if you don't feel like that there's a balance there, um, that's how I would approach it. Like, hey, is there if you really like the company you're working with, you really like the culture. Um, is there a way that you can navigate through your current responsibilities to to something uh, and 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 seeing if that if you can get the flexibility from there? That That's how I, I would approach it first. And then if you can't reach that, then then there's a, a broader catalyst, yeah. right? You can find another company, you can move, you can change industries. I mean, some people people will do that. People will totally change the the industry they're in or the work that they're doing to try to achieve the happiness um, and the work-life balance. What would you say to somebody who's done the self-evaluation and maybe they just have some apprehension about saying, here's what I think I need, but I'm uncomfortable asking for that because I'm not sure or it doesn't seem like this place has ever really offered it. I mean, there's the, the worst case that can happen is now someone knows that you're, that you're not happy and they know what you're feeling that hasn't changed what you're feeling. Right. And so I think that there, you know, you could have that fear, but it's just kind of like taking the first step over the ledge, so to speak. Right. Now you're committed. Now you've gotten it out there. Um, the worst thing that could happen is that a change happens. (laughs) Yep. And also along with that is that unless you express what you want, you're never going to get it. No one's going to get to guess and just hand you the perfect anything. Right. And so along with, figuring out what is making you unhappy. You have to figure out what you do want and like what in your ideal environment, how would that look and actually figure out what you actually do want and kind of work towards that. And like I said, no one's going to just give that to you. You have to sometimes talk to a lot of different people and you know, some organizations are not as receptive to you changing and different groups and things like that. Others are, you kind of have to assess your organization and see if that's really the best place for you to make a change or if staying is the best thing. But really, you don't want to just run away and then just hope for the best. You need to kind of run to something and not just away from whatever you had in the past. 
Yeah, I think um, when I realized that I was unhappy, um, I had just joined like a young professional women's group here in Dallas and I went to a coffee meetup and we were going around introducing ourselves and um, I was like, hey, I'm a CPA, I work for KPMG. And another girl was like, quit your company and come work for me or come work with me. And I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And like, what kind of company do you work for that you're that excited to be about it? <laughs> um, anyway, and so crazy enough, my mentor at my job had told me she was leaving the company that Friday. And so I called her up and I said, hey, I think I actually might be looking to leave this. Um, I was like, I heard about this company. What else do I have? And so talking to her, I reached out to my uncle who also works in the finance accounting industry and got to hear some really great advice from him. But when you're in that season of like realizing you're unhappy, it's so important to talk to people you trust to give you mm -hmm. advice mm -hmm. and people whose life looks like something you want your life to look mm -hmm. like. Um, you know, I don't want to be <laughs> taking advice from somebody that's worked their entire life and, you know, they don't have a passport stamped and, you know, maybe they don't have really close friends and family and they have no hobbies and work is their only life. Um, so I found it really important to talk to people like that. And um, before I made the decision to switch, I talked to four or five people. I reached out to people older than me. I reached out to people that I'd graduated with from college and said, hey, are you still here? Do you like it? Um, people that um, had recently changed jobs. And I was like, are you happy where you are? Do you think it was a good decision? Um, and just getting all that feedback allowed me to make a better decision, which made me a lot more comfortable with taking the step into change. Yeah. How much further can you go slash fulfilling is it simply by being in the right environment? I mean, I think your professional and personal life, they're all, they all interact with each other. Mm -hmm. If you're not happy in your personal life, it's going to bleed over into your professional life and vice versa. And so, I mean, for me, professional fulfillment, so me getting happiness out of my job also impacts my my uh, my personal life away when I'm not working with when I'm with my family and my friends. Um, they can tell. Right. You know, if I've got work on my mind or I'm not, you know, mentally there. Um, thinking about work or I'm just not happy <laughs> with my work, it, it, it'll bleed out in, into that. And so, yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think environment's everything. I really think, and you can't reach your maximum potential in an environment that's not right for you. And so if you think about like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and if you think about yeah. how, yeah, a job can meet like your base requirements, but as you get up higher and you want to be your best self, you also have to have those other needs met. And if you're not, if you're burned out, if you're stressed out, if you're not psychologically safe in that environment, you'll never reach your best self. Yeah, I think being happy and fulfilled in your professional life allows you to kind of realize, or having the space to evaluate your life allows you to realize what needs you have and like what that potential is. Um, for me, like I'm early on in my career, so there's there's a lot of guesswork in where I want to be at the end of the day. If it's a CFO, yeah. CEO, um, director, managing director. Um, so I think being here now, I have an opportunity to just say, hey, is this what I want? And having the space, because once you take a step back, you can truly realize what it is you want and how you want the rest of your life to look. Having gone through some uh, difficult 
stuff outside of work recently. And, you know, there's a lot of, I've realized there's a lot of things I got to redefine and figure out about myself. And, you know, there's some things that can and need to change that I don't even have the answers for right now, but being in an environment where I feel that I'm whatever I need to do to work that out is, is okay. Um, is also, you know, there's something comforting about that. You talked about Mm -hmm. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, having that, the foundational pillars, but knowing that, you know, as I go through this journey and kind of redefine and maybe add or subtract priorities that, um, I've got the time and space to figure it out, but being surrounded by people, there's that level of inspiration. There's that level of care and support. Um, and over time, I think some of that confidence will come back. And what I've noticed being on both ends of the spectrum is that when you're at the bottom, it's overwhelming and it just keeps working in that direction. And when you're on the other side, it actually has the same compounding effect. So Mm -hmm. it's, there's hope, right? If you're out there and you're maybe not in the best place right now, but I think we've shared some good advice. Appreciate your wisdom, your insights, and for, uh, you know, peeling back some layers and being a little bit vulnerable. Hopefully if uh, you're listening, you got some value and have the courage to make some changes. And uh, the rest will take care of itself. But uh, wishing you the best in your journey. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I hope you got a ton of value from our panel and choose to transform their insights into action and unstoppable momentum. If you have a follow-up question or a future topic request, please email us at podcasts at embarkwithus.com. That's podcasts at embarkwithus.com. So we can get to work on creating content That'll get you wherever you want to grow. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss out on wisdom to help you work smarter and level up faster. And lastly, if you're a repeat listener, consider supporting the show with a five-star rating so those algorithms can expand our reach and impact. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being here. Cheers.